Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Good morning. Uh, this uh, today we have um, Steve Bonet, Bonet uh, from uh, Bonet Electric Company, Company Incorporated with us on the Practical Preservation Podcast. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So um, tell me about about your background a little bit about your business. Well, I've been doing this pretty much all my life since I was a little kid and used to go to my dad's store and play on the cash register. So <laughs> it's something that I've grown up with all my life. Um, our business is a 113-year-old family business. And um, it was actually started by my, uh, my great uncle and my grandfather bought him out shortly after that. So it's been passed down through, uh, now we're on our fourth generation. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're kind of a we're kind of diversified in that we originally were electrical contractors. That's how we started out. And it was at the time okay. that electricity was starting in our area. We're in Michigan. Right. And so that was the, that was a new, we were like the Apple. We, we had to have a showroom because, and normally electricians and showrooms don't go together, but at that time um, you needed to have the product as well. So it's kind of an, that makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting start. And, and like at that time, we were like an Apple store. We were like the new technology, and we were um, in a in a cutting edge field actually. And so um, it evolved from there, and has evolved over 113 years. One time, we even carried appliances, televisions, ranges, oh, refrigerators, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And luckily, we got out of all that stuff just in the heyday of Highland Appliance, Ali Fredder, all those appliance stores that bloomed back at that time in the 60s, mm-hmm. so 60s and 70s. So, um, so it kind of all just worked out for us that we, we went back into focusing on more lighting and um, our electrical contracting. And, that, and I, did, I did notice that on your, your webpage when I was doing my research for the podcast that you do do, you know, your contractors, but then you also had this, the electrical, you know, the, the fixtures and things like that. And I thought that was interesting. And now that you tell that story, it makes sense to me. Right. Because typically those two don't go together, but that's at that time that you had to be both. And so as time went on, when there were probably a lot of other companies that did that type of thing, but they just – in time, they split from those those two entities split up. Right. Yeah. So I, I remember when I was in my um, my uh, MBA class, they um, we were talking about electric cars and stations. This was probably 
um, five years ago or so, and they um, and they were talking about, you know, we were talking about the infrastructure that needs to be built out, and I'm like, well, we didn't always have gas stations, you know. Like, we, right. Exactly. So yeah. So and then we we figured we we did research, and they actually people would like. At, like general stores would have gasoline that they would come out with buckets and pour it into cars, which is just like crazy right. now. But yeah, you know, until the infrastructure is built, it makes sense to me to to have everything together. And you, and if you think about it, we've we've kind of we've kind of circled back because you think about a lot of the bigger like Costco and stores like that. Even Kroger, Kroger has their own gas stations. So right. it's like they've kind of gone into trying to encompass everything again. Right. Um, what I was going to yeah. say is one of the like one of the branch off companies that back in the early days was two of my uncles actually went in the business of making traffic signals. So that was oh. something that yeah. they did on the side because again that was the advent of actually electricity where traffic signals became a thing. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that is electricity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, you, you, I, I, you. What services do you offer? I know you've talked about your contracting and then your your showroom. What what do you have in your showroom? What what do you mainly? Well, we have we have a mix of vintage restored lighting and a mix of new, and then of course we have our web presence. So we have a fairly good sized website with about thirty plus companies that offer new lighting. Um, the um, we also do lamp repair lamp restoration, custom lighting. We build things from scratch if people want them built from scratch. Um, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the other things is reclaimed pieces. Um, if you bring us a beam from a ceiling or a whatever, we figure out, I mean, we've made lamps out of clarinets. We've made lamps out of everything that you could probably think of um, from strange to pretty interesting. At one time, fire hydrants, the, or um, fire extinguishers, the old uh, oh, goodness, fire yeah. extinguishers were really popular, and we used to make lamps out of those. Then Wall would they paper. hang them as like a sconce, or no, how would they? They would be a table, they would be a table lamp. Oh, a table lamp, okay. A big okay. table lamp, because the old copper ones were, were large, and they're commercial. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, then wallpaper rollers, um, a lot of, I, I see them every once in a while, I'll see a, a, a the old wallpaper rollers, they were actually what the what the ink was put on to roll the, the design onto the paper. A lot of those became table lamps. Oh, um, strangely enough, that's really so cool. Yeah. A lot of people did that, yeah. Okay, and do you, so I guess you you'd mentioned your website, so you're not, um, you're not uh, restricted to a geographic area as long as somebody can reach out to you on your website, you, correct, you'll correct. ship or, okay. Yep. Okay. And because okay. because the restoration work a lot of times takes us all over Michigan, we we I don't travel the country necessarily, but Midwest. So a lot of times Ohio, Indiana, um, depending on where the job is, we're doing that anyway. So it's not unusual for us to have a bigger footprint than what we have a we have a comparatively small brick and mortar building, but we have a much bigger presence as far as what our what our work encompasses. Yes, yes. Um, we, also, we also carry lampshades, which is a, which is kind of a dying world of um, there's not as many people are going to a lot of people would buy a new lamp versus replace the shade because as mm. products get cheaper and cheaper, right. people are like, I'm not going to invest money in a lampshade for a lamp that I paid thirty five fifty dollars for. But there's still a lot of there's still a lot of art pieces out there, uh, valuable vases and and older lamps that are still that are still um, something that has to be replaced. And, and lampshades is a very technical area. And one of the things that's nice about that is 
the company, uh, most of, actually most of the companies we deal with with lampshades are in the United States. They manufacture in okay. the United States. And those are those are on your website. So like as long as you knew the size and like you can no, kind of figure that's out. That's actually something we need to deal with probably okay. either in person or it's like there's times where we could do that by phone or by email, but it's something okay. very it's something very technical. Believe it or not, there's a lot of the one company offers literally over a million choices in lampshades because by oh the my time goodness you, by the time you get size, fabric, shape. And all of those things that go into a lampshade, yes, yeah, and all the variables, and all kinds of stuff. There's, yeah. there's literally over a million choices. So, yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I didn't. I, I that, and that thought had never, had never crossed my mind. But now it's, that you say it, it makes sense. Strange, strangely enough, it's a very technical industry, and it's a very difficult industry. It's not the easiest thing to, um, and and they make custom lampshades as well. So. Mm-hmm. If, we, if a customer has a frame that we can send it in and they will cover it in the fabric that the customer wants or they will cover it in one of their fabrics, you know, so we can do pretty much anything with that. We also have a local right. artist that does work for us as far as lampshades, especially vintage pieces that she'll recreate older, older shades or create a shade that's period correct to the lamp. So we try to source from, we, we always try to source stuff locally or, or U.S. made if possible. Uh, yeah, and that that helps. I mean, I I think that also helps you ensure a better quality product. Definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. People that are doing that type of work, especially are, are craftsmen, so they're very much focused on putting on a quality product, and not necessarily. A lot of times, compared to the imports, they're not necessarily that much more expensive. Believe it or not. Right. I think that would be something that would really bump the cost up, but it doesn't doesn't always. It's a lot of times the imports are comparably about the same price. That's that's interesting. But but the cost of shipping and everything else that has to go into it, I know that a lot right. of companies have realized that maybe it isn't cheaper to do everything, you know, overseas because of all of the all of the constraints. True. Yeah. And time. So, uh, time is effective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, turn around. So um I know that you um, mentioned on your on your website that when you're talking about light fixture restoration and lamp lamp repair, you know you highlighted the environmental impact of the repair. Right. And when you were talking about that, you know the the that people you know will just replace rather than repair. But I I tend to be, and I think it's a preservation mindset, be in the repair camp where you know I just drop shoes off on Monday to the shoe repair shop because right. you know they're if they're still good, you know we should keep using them. Um, so is that a big reason why you moved towards preservation, or was it just kind of a natural progression of being such a a, a company with such longevity? Um, no, it's well. If you think about it, a lot of the product that uh, I've got photos of our original showroom, and a lot of the stuff that's in our original showroom is in our showroom now as as antiques that we're selling. So it's kind right. of like <laughs> it's kind of like we've been selling the same product for a long time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that though. The um, I think when it comes to when it comes to doing stuff with with that's environmentally friendly. I think any preservationist is interested in environmental friendly things. First of all, we have to restore the planet or we don't have any place to put buildings. Right. So, um, so that's something that's always on somebody's mind, I believe, that's a true restorationist. The, um, but beyond that, um, I think it's just about responsibility. Also, it, it, 
most people don't even need to be told that you can go out and look at a, a, a new lamp compared to a lamp that was made back in the 70s, 60s. And the quality is just not the same. I mean, they're making right. things cheaper and cheaper all the time. And the unfortunate part about that is um, I had this conversation with somebody about a faucet, believe it or not, that it's like a lot of the stuff that's in box stores is the cheaper knockdown of, of a better version that's carried right. somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not picking on box stores because they do a lot of times they carry a lot of times they carry better stuff as well, but it's it's a it's a search for that. And so um, so what happens with that is you buy a you buy a faucet and you put it into a spec home, and so it looks great and it looks perfect when the when the home is shown and everything. Or it's a it's a flip. Let's put it that way. It could be a flip that right. he's restoring a house. That faucet fails within a year. It's going to be just, it's, there's no, a lot of times there's not repair parts for it. So it's just going to be put in a landfill. So what we've created is just junk. And right. I, think that, I think that there's a reasonable expectation from people that um, a water heater should last 20 years or a roof should last 20 years or a, a lamp should last 20 years. So if not more, or and at least have the availability to be repairable, and so right. in that in that we've tried to create a cheaper product all the time and something that is something that is um, something that's flooded the market because the variety of product is so vast anymore. It's like we've also created a, we're also creating our own junk, and so that's that's the negative part about it. And I'm I'm not against people having new things. I mean. But I think we, we need to come to a place where we create better things as well. We manufacture better things. Even if it's, I if agree. it's, if it's yeah. in China or if it's in India, or India is becoming a, a much bigger um, place of manufacture. I'm seeing a lot more product coming out of India. But it's, it's more about um, uh, specifying that products are made better and that, um, and, you know, if, if the price has to go up a little bit, it, it's much better than having something for a year than having it, and having it 30 years or 20 years or whatever. No, I agree. And, and I was at a traditional building conference probably 10 years ago now, and there was a green building set, uh, session that I went to. And somebody said, you know, to be truly green, it needs to be able to be repaired. And that really stuck with me from a, from a materials, from a building material standpoint, because a lot of the new replacement or substitute materials are not repairable that you know once they fail you have to throw them away and put something new on and that is part of the new the new you know building um uh style um and but it's not it's 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 not green and it's 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 not it's not um sustainable right. and and so i do i think that i think that we see that in our products too um my this is this is kind of crazy time, but my my mother-in-law once was buying a new printer every time she ran out of ink because it was cheaper. The printer that she was buying at Walmart was cheaper than the ink. Right. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is you should not be buying a new printer every time you need ink. And how much, how <laughs> but, much plastic is going into a landfill right. every time yeah. that happens? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, we 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 just you know we don't talk about that. <laughs> So, um, so um, talk to me about the pros and cons of a corporate versus nonprofit restoration preservation project. Uh, yeah, that's 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 um, interesting because um, corporate 
if, if, if a corporate entity is restoring a building, maybe it's a lot of, and so much of that is happening now because what, what they're finding is they'll go through and they will make a building, um, let's just say it's an old bank building, and they're going to make that mixed use. They're going to make that um, some commercial and offices on the first floor, and then the, the, uh, maybe it's five stories high. So they're going to make condos and apartments in, in, in a whole mix in that. Um, a corporation is going to go through and they're going to restore a building in a way that is going to be cost efficient because they're, right. always, they're always looking at dollar. Um, versus when you have, and, and there's some advantages to that because there's more money put into the building. Typically, there's more money available. Um, it, but where that money goes is, is the issue. Um, the, and they're also, they're also better at quick decisions. In other words, like you don't have to wait forever to make a decision right. about whether or not this, this um, piece of architecture is going to get restored or this light fixture is going to be restored. It's like it's a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's not a lot of stuff to, to get quagmired in. Uh, they, they make quicker decisions. Um, the cons behind that is they don't have any, they don't have any um, historical um, um, romance with that. They're, they're, right. they're, they're not looking at it from like this is we're, we're, we're saving history, we're preserving this, we're, you know, they're looking at it from this looks nice, it's a cool building because it's old looking, so let's do whatever, but if the costs run too high, then let's skip that part. So you get a lot of things, you get a lot of things cut out that way. When it comes to a nonprofit or somebody that's actually um, historic-minded, they're going to restore a building in a way. I love working with archivists because archivists will go back and they will say, "This is what this was really like at this time. Let's be as accurate as we right. can." And but they're more about the they're more about that bones part of it. They're not so much about the um, uh, design aspect of it. Let's let's mm-hmm. put it that way. So so it gives the it gives the person restoring a light fixture or architecture or whatever some license to have some to to do something that's a little more um, creative with whatever happens. And so it's kind of like the meeting of two great minds where it's like the archivist says it's got to be kind of like this and this and this. It's got to right. kind of match this era, but it also leaves the person that's doing the restoration some artistic like license to do a little bit of tweaking. And that you know whoever created that light fixture, that piece of architecture they had they had their artistry that they put into it as well. So right. it's like just duplicating it all isn't always the most important thing. Sometimes putting somebody's particular stamp on it or putting putting a a, a look as long as it's period appropriate is a really nice part of it because it gives that it gives that structure a new piece of humanity. Right. And I don't, well, I, and it's that. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to I think a lot of people forget about that aspect. That it's like. New artists should be should be recognized, and and that's the you know that's always the that kind of fine line between it's like well I'm going to restore a building and I'm going to make it modern inside inside or industrial looking or whatever. Well, it may not be exactly what the what the what the look was of the building when it was first done. It may not be a perfect restoration, but the building right. got saved, and the building got right. saved in a new yeah. way. It's yeah. creative. Yeah. And 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 you, that's the. Uh, I know that there are some people who are like, you know, it must be like a museum. I tend to be more practical because if yeah, if the building's being reused and the building's being saved and the facade is there, um, you know that 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 
you, you, they didn't tear it down and make a parking lot. You know what I mean? Like, right. so it's it, it you're there is that tension there, and there's that tension too of like honoring all the changes that have been made throughout the time period, rather than taking it back to you know when right. it was first built or you know. And I think I think that you know we we do especially using high quality um, you know durable materials do have that opportunity to put our little stamp on on that you know becoming part of the building's history. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I, I completely yeah. agree. And I think a lot of people get stuck in like, it's got to be exactly like it was back in the day. And it's like, and I, and I have an appreciation for that museum type of feel right. to it, like that they, they want to recreate and they want to keep the, they want to preserve that. But I think that, I think the humanity part of it is really an important aspect because I think that if buildings aren't made practical, if they're not made, if they're, if they're just roped off museum pieces, then right. we're not yeah. really creating and, something that people interact with. Yeah, and, muse- and museums are, you know, the, we need to have some museums, but we also right. need to have buildings that we are living in and interacting with. Right. Um, yeah. So um, is there a common thread that you find that connects all of your past projects? Yes, and and I, I would say the the main common thread would be that I learn something from every new project, and that's the great part. It's like uh, then each project I do stretches me in a new way that I've never been stretched before. And sometimes right. I look at that and say, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can be that. <laughs> I can know if I can be that elastic today, but it's right. like it's like um, it's almost. I think that's. I think a lot of people have that experience that they naturally involve naturally evolve to a place where their next project is always, <clears throat> excuse me, the next project is always the next evolution of their career because they climb a little higher each time. And right. so, but a lot of times something that's just not in your wheelhouse normally, you're suddenly doing and you're like, I don't know if I can pull this off, but it's like, I think that that comes kind of naturally because I think everybody in restoration is kind of in a way a jack of all trades. So, right. um, and, and typically if something is out of my realm as far as, um, as far as what I'm doing, I, I have so many support people, network of support people that I've developed over the years that are my, it's my glass expert or my, or my metal fabricator or my whomever. Yes. I can turn to and I can say, this is the problem I got, I have, you know, it's like, I've got to figure out how this is going to work out. And together, we usually come up with a really great solution. So I, yeah. I, I love that part of, of restoration, because it's, you're always learning, you're always getting better at what you do. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, and there are times where I look back on projects, you know, from five years ago or so, and I'm like, oh, if we had done this project before that, we could have approached it a little differently. Not that it was right. wrong. It's just a different approach. Right. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, what is unique about lighting preservation projects specifically? I think lighting is unique because it's, well, it, we have a safety issue with, like, you have to create things that are safe. Yeah, and yeah. you have to create things that, and, and given no different than architecture, I mean, architecture has to be obviously structurally safe. It's a little different because it's a free flow piece. If, if it's a hanging light fixture, it's not something that, it's something that can be moved or, or whatever. So you, you have a little more, or, and it has to be, it has to have maintenance done on it. So it's something that is, I always call lighting functional art. And it's like, I think a lot of people miss that, um, a lot of people will look at a light fixture and say, wow, this light fixture costs $1,200. That's a lot of money. 
the same people would look at a painting in a in a gallery somewhere and say, "Oh, this is only twelve hundred. This is a so and so," you know. Right. And so, it's like not to not to take away from a painting. I'm just saying that it's like there's mechanics, there's um, there's artistry, there's there's all kinds of things, and there's the use of the light itself. How the light how the light comes out of the light fixture is like a is a whole is a whole world unto itself. Right. So there's so many components to it that it's it's a really interesting world. And I'm one of those people that it's like I get the design aspect and I and when I walk into a, into a restoration or a new project, I I'm like immediately I'm just I'm spellbound by seeing an old light fixture hanging there and I'm, I'm immediately my mind goes to all the different things that went into making that light fixture and who created this and why they created it that way but the um the um the, the i love getting down and that's kind of the ethereal the the art part about it but i love getting down into the bones of something i love to see the mechanics of how something's made i'm a get your hands dirty kind of guy oh uh, like, yeah I want to know how I want to know how all these parts work together, and how, and how somebody did something really innovative to put this piece together, or how they how they designed it so the light would move through a portion of it, or whatever. So I'm I'm kind of both of those things, and it's not everybody in the world. Some people are more in the direction. Most artists are more in the direction of being more visual and more and more ethereal about their art, as opposed to more right. mechanical. So it's it's a it you kind of have to encompass both or you have to have a team of people that, that can do all those things. That can, yes. Yeah. So, and then uh, on the um, preservation projects, I know that one of the challenges that, that I think most people can encounter is the navigating different personalities. Can you, can yeah. you talk to me about that? Yes, especially we deal with all kinds of situations. So we deal with people where we're presenting to, we do, we do a lot of work in churches because churches, our historical yes. buildings. Oh, and, and the the um, not that I really enjoyed the work that we have done with churches, but the committees. That's, yeah, that's that, what I that's always what I think of when I think of a church. And believe it, believe it or not, a lot uh, lately the churches I've worked with have said we've got our committee down to five people. We don't want to really talk to more than five people because right. once we get beyond that, it just gets too difficult to work with. And so this is much easier. But I love presenting to I love presenting to boards. I love presenting to committees like that because I like to take their questions firsthand because they're always it's always like well if you're going to use those lead bulbs LEDs you <laughs> we're all going to we're all going to be irradiated and I don't like how they, <laughs> they look blue and it's right. like I'm afraid of the mercury that's going to leak out of them and so I'm like it's really a great opportunity for me to give like a, a learning experience it's like right and is, you're educating yeah right this is why yeah. this is why we use this and then they're going to take that on to some other place whether they take it home with them or whether they tell somebody else about it whatever so right. it's, it's always a good experience but um what i find is also with there i've worked with sometimes a job will have a project manager for that particular thing for those for those things like like lighting fixtures and other things that have to be done. Other times you're dealing with a general contractor. Other times, you, you know, it's all over the place. Other times you are the general contractor of your portion of it. Right. Um, so it's kind of like all over the place. And I've had project managers where they have a set idea of how they want the job done. And unfortunately, I've had to do restoration projects where I have to do it the way the customer wants it done. And it's not, right. it's not what I would appropriate for the piece uh, 
Um, and so I'm kind of I'm kind of cringing in those in those instances. But at the end of the day, I have to do if I don't do it, someone else will do it, and at least I can do it in the best way I can do it, it as to their direction. But it, people that want to put their own stamp on something, and I'm always the kind of person that's like, I don't really want to put my stamp on something. I want it to be a good restoration. I want right. it to look like it should look in the building. It's not. It's not about me. It's about how the building should look and how, and how this piece should look in the building. It's. It's about. It's about restoring it in the best way I can. But a lot of people aren't that way. A lot of people are like, no, I have a set way of the way I want this to look, and that's what I decided on. So it's it, navigating all of that is sometimes difficult. And there's sometimes jobs that I, I have walked away from jobs where I've had somebody say, I want to do this and I'm going to design it my way and I'm like you're not even representing all the people that are that that you're supposed to be representing here and they're they're like I don't care this is my thing so right yeah, so sometimes sometimes you do have to walk away from those situations but um, yeah I so, agree and yeah and and again the same thing with corporate where you're where they're more cookie cutter and you've got to convince them that the that the the restoring something in a proper way and doing it and, and enhancing it is going to bring people in to look at it. It's going to it's going to it's going to enhance their whole environment, and it's worth investing the money into. So, right, and it has to it has to make sense for for what their what their um, their goals are, but also you know to to make you know to have the right aesthetics. So right. yeah, I I could see that being a tension. Um, I guess it probably is easier if they're using like tax credits and they're kind of bound by. Right, this is true. Um, that, that's helpful. And it, actually, yeah, a lot historic. of times that's why yeah. they get into that. A lot of times mm-hmm. that's why they'll even they'll even save something is because they're getting some type of federal tax credit to to keep a historic piece. And right. so there are certain. But you know, I've also looked at I've also looked at those situations where like they the guidelines to that are sometimes kind of loose. So. You have a lot of freedom to do whatever you want with something, and they're like, "Well, we could replace these with new fixtures that look like these old fixtures." And I'm like, yeah. "No, you really can't." But right. um, <laughs> it's not really going to happen. So, um, so, but there's some, there's a lot, there's some things in those in those codes a lot of times in the federal grant codes that are like um, that are, are subjective. So right, yeah. You sometimes get away with things that you probably shouldn't be, but they, it, when they were written, they just didn't have the. They just didn't look at that as like, well, this is something that somebody's going to bypass. Right. Yeah. And and you don't. You can't foresee everything that people are going to try. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, uh, so you you've pretty much been you know in the business since since you were little. Um, yep. And I I, I I'm kind of jealous because I think playing with the cashier sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Cool yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you wish that you um, know that you know when you got started, or that yeah, that you know now? What do you wish that, you knew then? I think that over the years we tried to do a lot of things. We tried to to be bigger and smaller and be all kinds of different things, go into different different areas of lighting. And I think um, had I to do it over again, I would have been just focused more on the craftsman part of the of the business, and um, more. I would have spent more time um, reaching out and getting involved with other craftsmen. Um, mm. Maybe in even a greater um, uh, geographical area, because right. I think that 
I think that it's such a niche business and it's such a, um, like I say, you always want to create, you know, once, as, as you get success, you want, to, you want to just branch out into more and more areas. And sometimes that's a great thing, but it also, it also dilutes you in some ways. Right. You, really you only have so much it. time. Right. And, and finding really good people that are really going to be devoted to whatever that part is, is always a challenge. And so when you're trying to manage people and trying to also be, sometimes I, I wish I didn't have as many hats to wear. <laughs> right. Um, I'd like to just, I'd like to, some days I'd just like to go down and sit and work on a fixture and not have to worry about uh, all the other things, all the other aspects of the business. But right. um, that's the devil that everybody deals with. So. That's not unusual. Yeah, no, it's not, and and I think that's very true in small businesses, and and it is hard to to find people that are passionate and you know want to want to do a good job, um, and when you find them, you you don't want to let them go. Um, and, I, and I have to say to that, strangely enough, over the years, it's almost as if if the I sometimes think our, our business is magical because it's like the people find us. I. I Shortly after my dad passed away, which was in 2008, he okay. had worked. Um, he had he was sick the last two years of his life, but he had worked. Um, I'm the baby baby of the family, and so my mm-hmm. my dad died at um, my dad was 92 when he died. Oh goodness! But he at 90 he was working 40 hours a week and <laughs> keeping up a regular schedule. My parents lived right. on their own; they weren't dependent on anybody, and they were doing great. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it is great. And that's one of the things, his work really kept him going. He was always, like, he loved to do what he did, and he would come in every day. And he did mainly repair and that type of stuff. He was also a master electrician and had done that for many years prior to, you know, prior to working in the in the business itself. But um, I'm losing track of where I was going with this. You know how you have those moments? Oh, you, oh you were talking about finding, finding people to work for you. Oh, yes. So, thank you. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) One of those moments. Um, So, just after my dad passed away, or just before he passed away, we had a guy come in and interview, and um, I was looking for somebody for lamp repair, and he was a master mechanic and a philosophy major, a master auto mechanic, like worked on Rolls Royces and, and all kinds of really complicated cars, and he said he had had a... Um, benign brain tumor, and he had a an, an implant put in for hearing because he lost hearing in one of his ears. And he said, "I can no longer work in loud shops." And he said, "I've always had a, oh, I've always yeah. had an interest in lighting, and it was is as if my as if the perfect replacement for my dad walked in and sat down, and he was able to quickly interpret things. He was great with customers. He was great with explaining stuff. He's since yes. retired from us, but." Um, he's, he was great with all of those kinds of things. And, and it helped he, you through that transition, yeah. It, it, was, it was like somebody just sent us like the, uh, uh, an angel, you know, and yes. it's like, so that was really great. And, we, and over the years, we've had really, really great people work for us. I mean, really, they've gone on to other careers and other things, but we've had people that were, you know, that I still consider just like family because... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we've been very lucky in that respect. But I think that if you offer people an interesting job to do, they kind of excel. If you if you stick them in McDonald's and say you're going to make burgers all day, they're kind of like, okay, it's just a job. 
and yeah, and we're taking yeah, we're taking away all the thought that you have to do. Everything's planned out yeah. for you. <laughs> if you actually give them, yeah. if you actually yeah. teach them some skills that they might not already know, and they have some basic mechanical knowledge, then a lot of times they they just evolve into like a great, you know, a great person that does. Not that they're not great people, but I mean a great right. a great worker in the way that they are like they take pride in what they do and they start to really enjoy what they do and they and they do better at it all the time they you know people rise when you give the give them the opportunity to do that so um so we've been very lucky in that way but maybe it's like partially the environment that we create and partially the fact that they've also brought themselves up to that level because they they like what they're doing yeah yeah i i think that both of those things i i think that people who are interested in restoring old things and make creating art tend to gravitate towards those kind of jobs and right. then you know you you do and then it does it that's when that's when I know we find our best fits too so what what are the biggest challenge and trends that you see in preservation well uh, in my own city unfortunately um, so much of so much of our city is controlled by the developers, and mm. um, the developers are their their job is to develop. Their their money is in developing, and dollar signs are what drives so much of that. And so, historic buildings a lot of times are they're they're a pain. They're you're working on something that's old that's got old problems. You're working on something that has to have asbestos abated or whatever. So it gets costly. Right. And um, they're not so much concerned about the solid structure. They're concerned about building a building that's going to last maybe 10, 20 years, and then they're kind of out of it, so they don't have to worry about that after that. And people down the road will say, well, this was cheap construction, but, you know, they've moved on to other things by then. So I think that's one of the challenges. Um, In Michigan, Grand Rapids is is a... is a shining example of a great city. If you've never visited there, I encourage anybody to go there and visit. To they Grand have, Rapids. Yes, they have lots of they have lots of uh, of private money. It's where the Meyer Corporation for Meyer um, we have Meyer stores in Michigan. They're kind of a grocery all things store, uh, kind of a local Walmart, if you will, okay. but but higher quality. Um, <laughs> I'll just throw that in. The um, the Meyer Foundation is there. There's a lot of there's just a lot of money there in that in that city. So they've put a lot of money into the city. And so what's happened is they've built they've built modern buildings, um, and they've created and but they've kept all of their old architecture. So there's this there's this huge juxtaposition between the two, and it's amazingly beautiful to see an old building that stands out so nicely because there's two really modern structures next to it but it's done in a thoughtful way they're yes. also the home of what is a national now a national um, event called art prize and um so they're an artist community as well um they've recreated they, they've recreated their downtown for a for a bigger city and a, and a, and a city becoming bigger all the time um it's it's a city where it's very friendly and safe to walk downtown. It's um, it's very it's very a lot of their streets they've even blocked off where they don't have traffic on them anymore, so they're walking streets. Um, oh yeah. But they've done it in a really creative way, and it, from something that was a very um, years ago was a very small town and very um, it's a Dutch Reformed town, so it's very um, kind of backward in that way. When I say backward, I mean it's very conservative. 
right. um, they have actually evolved to become kind of the new, the new shining gem of Michigan because it's, it, they've brought all of these artists in, they've brought all of this new corporate business in, they've, and, and yet they've, they've maintained all of, their, um, all of their historic buildings. In, conversely, where I'm at in the capital city, um, we don't have a lot of buildings because back in the 60s, a lot of urban renewal came through and right. took out those buildings. So it's like a lot of my work is now in Detroit. It's not in, it's not in this city or it's somewhere else, in smaller towns a lot of times too, um, where, the, where the architecture has been kept. But um, unfortunately, that's, and, and that's one of the drawbacks, is that, is that creating new shining cities back then was something that was actually destructive. And that's an ongoing problem with new development, is that new development is, has yeah. to respect old. Someone's telling me that, I think it's Boulder, Colorado, has like a 90 or 100% fill rate of old buildings before you can build a new building. Mm. So in that way, they keep their property values very high. I think right. if, if, if cities adopted something like that, maybe if, if it's even a 50-50, it's like 50% of the buildings have to be occupied before you can build a new building, before you can get a new permit. Yeah. I think that yeah, you and, see a lot yeah. more invested in older buildings. Yeah, Portland... Um, Oregon has been really on the cutting edge of that too, and that okay. that really did raise their property values up. Now they're doing something. I just saw it online this week, where they're um, before they grant a demolition permit, you have to take all of the usable building materials out of it, so that okay. that all of those are going into architectural right. Right. salvage places. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's again, <clears throat> it's more it's more even if they're even if they're just recycling. Um, right. we're, we're a CFL and incandescent bulb recycling center for, and that's done by our local utilities. So people can bring bulbs to us anytime and just drop them off, and they get put in a carton and they get sent back, and they actually get recycled. Um, the but it's um, it's a really nice thing because I can say to people, you know, if you've got a lot of, it's great to upgrade to LED, and if you're going to throw, what are you going to do with your old incandescent bulbs? It's like right. I still have customers that say they're trying to take away our incandescent bulbs, and I'm like, <laughs> they're really not. They're just trying to make things better. It's like, it's like, and, and you're spending, you're spending a lot more money on on electricity every month, and you're heating up your house in the summer when you don't need to. But right. Like, you know, you got to get with the technology. <laughs> the, the the the, the um, battles that people are willing to fight. <laughs> I, I know. It's like. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, yeah, they're not. That's not a freedom they're trying to take away. That's you can keep that freedom if you want, but you're just kind of like, you're like you've got a butter churn when you could just go buy a stick of butter. Right. So, um, so I'm like, there's value in both, but okay. So it's like, but the fact that we can get, we can actually get um, that stuff um, back, keep it out of landfills. So we're not just right. throwing away all the old technology. We're actually recycling it. It, it yeah. makes me feel good about that. I mean, that's. That at least when I recommend bulbs to somebody, I'm like, you really need to get a CFL was a was a transitional um, yes, technology, yeah. so we need to like get rid of those now, and we need to go on to LED, and in that process, you can still recycle this, and we can still have a good a good outcome to all of it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, so what I know that we've talked a little bit about being a contractor and having a showroom, but is there anything else that you want to highlight that makes your business different? Well, I think that what makes our business different is we're we're open to whatever. In other words, 
if somebody comes in with it, we, we're not we're we're idea builders, not not ideal squashers. We're we're like if you come in with an idea and you're like, I want to make a light fixture out of this. First of all, we're going to tell you how how it has to be made to be made safe because ideally, it, it's always about safety first. Um, right. When it comes to when it comes to lighting or anything electric. But beyond that, it's like we like people to be creative. We like people to come in with new ideas. We like to do custom stuff. We like to do stuff that's out of the box. And it's like we're never beyond any idea as long as, it, as, long as we can make it safe and functional. And so in that way, we have a lot more. If somebody, even when it comes to our new light fixtures, if somebody says, I don't like this part of, the, part of this light fixture, I'm like, well, it's stem hung. If you want it chain hung, we can make it chain hung. You know, right. So we, we'll tweak anything to do to do what you want it to do, and so in that way, it's like we're kind of like a custom house for for whatever. Right. Right. And so, well, and and you're you have that capability because you manufacture too. Right. Right. And yeah. and we're constantly yeah. changing things up, and we we repair. We know how things are put together. Having that knowledge too is I can, I can sit down with somebody in, in a lighting consultation and be a lot more knowledgeable about if, I, if I'm just selling light fixtures, if I'm just a guy that's in the lighting business selling, selling sprockets, <laughs> I'll put it that way. It's like I, and if I don't have the internal knowledge of how things work, then I can't, right. I can't do nearly as good a job as I can say to somebody, you might want to stay away from this light fixture because I'll tell you what, the, the cleaning of this or the maintenance of this or the or the, I see the, the future of this as being like not so great versus this might be a better plan. And I don't want to, you know, if, if you're really stuck on this, then go for it. But it's like I'm just kind of warning you what the maintenance issues might be. with Right, give you your options, make, so you, a, make sure you understand. I have a bigger picture of that, and I, a lot of times mm-hmm. I can translate that to a customer. So so in that way we're we're different, that we're, we're kind of like a custom house for things like that. And I think people love that kind of stuff. People love having the, having the ability to create their own. And, and in essence, it's like even if you're only changing um, maybe like the glassware on a fixture or whatever, you're kind of putting your own stamp on it. Nobody else is going to have that light fixture with that glass. Right. So you're creating something that's unique so that your your light fixture doesn't look like everybody else's cookie cutter that you walk in their house you're like oh they all look the same. Um one of one of the things that people always remark to me that have worked for us is it, after about a month or two of working for us they're like now everywhere I go I notice light fixtures where I never noticed them before it drives <laughs> me crazy because it's like I'm like they're dusty or this should be this way or this is upside down or something's wrong with this or <laughs> <laughs> I, I have friends that are like you're the only one that walks around town looking up but isn't it great that 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 creates that awareness and I think that it does that's yeah. great with anything. I mean, it's like I love to learn about all kinds of things, and I think that anytime you're learning, you're you're growing. Anytime you're not learning, you're kind of stagnating or you're dying. So it's like you need those kinds of things um, to to move you forward all the time. Yes, yeah, I agree. So I guess our business is unique that you're typically going to get somebody that's knowledgeable. You're typically going to get somebody that meets you at the counter that's going to be open to whatever you have to say, we don't want to sell you something that you don't want. We're not, right. We don't even have a, a business model where we say, you need to, this is how you push this item. It's like we have a business model that says, come in, let's talk about what you want, and let's get you what you want. Because ultimately, the satisfied customer is the customer that will come back to me or will be the best advertising in the world for me. Right. That's true. 
Yes, yes. Um, so how can our listeners contact you? Um, they can contact us by email. It's okay. our name, B-O-H-N-E-T, electric, at AOL.com. Yes, it's AOL.com okay. because we were early on technology, and we haven't <laughs> changed it because it's hard because people don't want to learn it is hard. email address. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> people are always like, AOL? And I'm like, yeah, so we had technology early, so don't shame me. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> You can contact us by phone. It's uh, our phone number is five one seven three two seven nine 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 nine, and that's a okay. really easy number to remember or put in somebody else's phone. Um, we, you can go to our website, which which is basically our name b o h n e t electric dot com, um, and that'll give you all of that same information there. And also, we have all of our lighting product there. You can wander around and look at all the different things that we do too. And there are parts of our website that aren't complete, and we don't apologize for that because we're busy working, so we don't always right. get to yeah. <laughs> we don't always get to get all the stuff in there that we'd like. That's probably my biggest yeah. my biggest it's a struggle. <laughs> my biggest struggle is remembering to take the before picture and and then getting to the after and saying, I wish we would have taken the before picture of this project because well, usually it's a small thing like a, a repair or a restoration of a lamp or something. But I'm like yes. People love to see before and afters so much that I always forget that part. So, but yeah, that again. that is a yeah that is a struggle. I will make sure all of your contact information too is on our website with the podcast, so that okay. if somebody needs to, you know, it comes to listen to the podcast, they can then click through too. Um, did you have any offers for our listeners, or did you have anything else you want to share? We do right now. Our right now, the stuff in our showroom is uh, like a lot of our vintage lighting and and stuff that's in stock is like lighting fixtures and stuff is thirty five percent off. It's on sale. Okay. Our lampshades right now are twenty percent off, um, which lampshades hardly ever go on sale, and we're we're just doing a fall special right now. Um, the um, we have a ten dollar Tuesday. $10 off on Tuesdays on lamp repair. So we call it $10 Tuesdays, $10 off Tuesdays, I think. Um, so if you just come in and mention $10 off Tuesday, um, that usually connects to our, our Facebook advertising or other advertising, so we kind of can track our advertising. Yes. However, on our website, there's always a virtual coupon, and we make it a virtual okay. coupon. Just mention it. We'll give you $5 off on your repair. We don't want somebody cutting out paper or printing stuff or creating more junk so right. we don't want we don't want the paper. So just come in and mention it, and we're happy to give you five dollars off. Okay. So yeah. Very good. Thank you very much. I I felt like I always I I am I feel like I'm so lucky to be doing podcasts because I learn something from everyone that I do. Great. So I I thank you very much for for joining us, and um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. So I'll um, get this edited and up on um, for tomorrow because I'm I'm like a week behind. I usually try to stay a week ahead, but I'm a week behind. If you're only a week behind, you're doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> if I can stay a month behind, I'm doing well. Oh, I know. Um, I, I I my list of my list just grows, but you know how that is. So if, you, if wherever that gets uploaded to, is it possible for me to share it like in our social media and stuff? Yes. Yes. So I'll I'll get it uploaded to our website and also after it's uploaded to our website it goes out to like there's a it's a RRS feed so it goes out to like iTunes and okay. Stitcher and all those other places but it it's like hosted on our website I guess so I might, I, this might be my this might be my like I might become super famous out of this <laughs> oh you could be I, 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 the other the other maybe a couple weeks ago 
yeah, a couple weeks ago I was I was at Home Depot standing in line and a woman came up to me. She's like, Are you are you from um are you are you do you do that preservation work? And I'm like, Yeah. She's like, I just love your stuff. I just wanted to tell you And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, cool, I'm standing there. Yeah, it is cool, but I, it throws me every time it happens. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, did you get the did you get the marketing book? I did, and I haven't even. Okay. I've, I've, it's sitting on my table next to my chair at home, and I'm like, oh I no, that's that's fine. Down, yeah, sit down and at yeah. least go through this and and yeah. read it. And I just we've had we've been super busy this week. So oh, I yeah, I completely understand. Week. I just I was just making sure it got to you. So that's yes. that's but, good. And okay. I appreciate so much you taking the time to do this because it's like this is the kind of thing. Just what you're doing is really a great way for little businesses to connect with other little businesses. And it is, yeah. And it's, you know, I try to network as much as possible. And believe me, I go to the opening of an envelope, but it's like uh, there's only so, so many hours in the day and there's times where I'm like, I can't get, I can't get dressed up for one more thing or go to one more place today. Yeah, last week, the, our preservation, the county's preservation um, organization had their annual dinner and I'm like, oh, I need to plan my day so that I can like get dressed up at the end of it. <laughs> right. And, and, so you know, I, yeah, I get it. But I mean, there's a million things get, that get in the way, and I, like I say, I try to keep connected with everybody. One thing I've always found is, no matter what event I go to, I always get two jobs out of it, and it's strange because I don't promote my business. In other words, I'm I'm not salesman like in that in that respect. Right, I'm not things. either. Yeah, I go to things that are charity events or whatever, and a lot of times we'll donate something like a gift certificate or a lamp or something, and um, I'll show up at events and people will come up to me and they're like, you're Steve Bonet, aren't you? And I'm like, I am. And they're like, you know, I need to have you look at, I've got this and that's how the job happens. And so it's not, it's not me going around saying, Hey, I'm from here and what's going on? What's, what, what what do you need? You know, it's like, I don't even know how to do that. (laughs) It's like, I'm good at that. But, um, so it's like, like I say, all it takes is showing up most of the time, and it does. I agree with that. To, yeah, connecting your face to your business. So, um, but I mean, so it's. It, I like organic situations like that where you connect with people. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I I agree because it and it is it's it's showing up and getting out there, and that's not typically where I'm comfortable. But after I go and I get over myself, I do okay. <laughs> I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty comfortable talking to anybody, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, the nice thing that I've never had is I've never had, I'm never intimidated by anybody. I don't care if you're the CEO of Apple. I'm like, I'm like, you're just another person to me, because I I guess I've worked with so many people that are, I later find out are so high up in whatever they do that I'm like, what are you talking to me for? Right. Um, But I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, everybody puts their shoes on, and or their or their butler does, or. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, it's like we're all humans, and so I just don't. I, I guess I don't have that have that intimidation of people, and so I think people and people just like to talk about you know about their project or whatever, and so if you if you just meet with them on that level, it all comes out well, and so it I just, does. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'm as good standing in front of a room full of 5,000 people talking to them, but um, 
I'm probably I could probably get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and people and people like to hear that the good thing is most people are interested in the work that we do. Right. So I can always talk about that. <laughs> right. As soon as yeah, as soon as just just point me at a light fixture and and ask me about what I think about that or what what should be done to it and I'm off, you know, somewhere in my own world going, well, this is what's got to happen and whatever. But yeah. um so it 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 takes away from all of that. Um, and uh, like I say, I don't know. I, years ago, I used to be much more intimidated by things like that. And now I'm just like, eh, everybody's, and, and it's everybody's the how, same. Yeah. How many times when you walk into something where you, where you think somebody's a big deal and they're, and they're over in the corner clipping their fingernails or doing something that you're like, oh, look at them being all human and everything. Right. <laughs> that so, is true. So, yeah, you never know. Especially in the, in the business of restoration, I deal with so many people that are so um, eccentric anyway. They are, yeah, that is true. I never know what I'm walking into or how much crazy I'm going to run across, so I'm just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that is very true, and 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 you get that with the with the artisans too. <laughs> yeah. my, my, I think one of my best qualities is that I can keep a straight face no matter what. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that is a good quality. Sometimes I don't know if I'm good at that, but I usually at least if I can't if I can't if I if my face gives it away, I at least I at least don't open my mouth. <laughs> As long as I don't have somebody else I know that knows looking straight at me, then I'm pretty good. So, yeah, as long as somebody else in the room doesn't get the same what's going on right. as well, and I don't have somebody to laugh with, then I'm I'm probably pretty good. So thank you okay, so well, very then, good. Yeah, have a good rest of your day. I- Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.